0: Now, I don't know about you, but I think most artists aspire to have a space or a studio, a place that you can go to create that feels creative, that has the right emotional context for you to do the art that you want. However, I think there are a lot of other aspects to space and how the idea of our environment can actually drastically affect us as artists. What I want to really do in this episode is dig into these issues so that we can learn to control the space around us as artists so that we can better control our habits and our rituals and make sure that we get into the right creative mindset, and flow. All right, welcome to the Visual Scholar Podcast. My name is Tim McBurney. I've been a professional working artist for over 20 years. And on this show, we're all about demystifying the worlds of art, creativity, and productivity so that you can get better, faster, and enjoy your artistic journey. On this show, I'm often talking and touching on the ideas of ritual or habit and how creating positive associations and positive habits can be a really good way to kind of hack the way that our human creativity and the way that our mind functions and we can use the idea of habit which can sometimes be a bad habit, can sometimes be a good habit, how we can use that to basically create the habits that we want and sort of codify them in what I would define as artistic rituals. This really is just a fancy way of saying if you kind of get in a good groove of creating and you associate that with a particular time, a particular place, a particular series of events, you tend to find that you kind of drawn to do it and, and it has a positive effect on your artistic practice, right? And, and a lot of that sort of artistic angst disappears more once we have the ritualistic aspects of, of our craft and, and practice down. It's also important to understand that although in the beginning we might have to create a lot of this structure, we might have to really force ourselves to behave a certain way because we might be dealing with bad habits, The end goal is to just increase the positive association and the particular set of emotions and feelings that you want to have when it comes to sitting down to create your art or to work on your craft. And the more that you build these, the more that essentially what will happen is as you pick up a pencil slash paintbrush slash Wacom stylus slash piece of clay, that the association you have with that is that, oh, I'm going to create something with this and this is going to be a good experience. And everything really is meant to, that I'm talking about is really meant to dial in on that simple relationship. And what I'm going to do here and what I have done in the past few episodes is is kind of try and cover this ground in as much detail as possible. Because I feel like the more sort of understanding of why these things are happening, often these concepts of subconscious action being, you know, maybe semi-controlled by conscious thought, right? Often, again, the reason we feel like we're, you know, creating art and, and we feel good is a little bit mysterious to us. That if we can kind of take those ideas and get control of them, that, you know, we do gain more insight and control over our artistic practice in general. And, It allows you both to build a good ritual in the first place, but also modify a ritual if you find it's not quite serving you and to just understand how these things relate to each other. Because I think the artistic creature is often a little bit more sensitive to change and it can be, you know, very distressing if you kind of get, you know, knocked off your game. Um, And that's where I think a lot of these ideas of people losing their mojo, people, you know, not feeling like it, right? You know, you don't have your muse, whatever. Um, there's a lot of superstition, I feel like, that can come in here. And and again, the idea of space and time and how space and time relate to this artistic ritual, I think, is really important. So over the last few episodes, I've talked about how important I think the ritual is. In the last episode, I talked about how time really plays into this. And what we're going to do today is is really look at how space plays into the idea of your ritual and and kind of what makes you want to create and how we can modify the space to make that you know happen more and and potentially again hand different creative tasks uh, using the space i think that it's important to understand that the idea of time and space are kind of interconnected and again i'll get into that a little bit as we progress what we're always trying to do is create the association of positive Feelings and emotions, the type of feelings and emotions that you want when you think about creating or that when you go to your creative space, your studio or whatever it is. Again, there's a lot of tricks to this. You don't necessarily need a studio. You certainly don't need a fancy studio. I think controlling these ideas means that you're thinking at a level above kind of, oh, I need this fancy studio or I need this fancy thing. Um, we can create these positive associations with very, very little, even if you're just starting out and, you know, you might be a lot younger, you're living in your parents' house, right? You don't have control over the space. I think that can be very challenging. Or again, you know, you might be in a different sort of situation where, again, you don't have the time. It's hard to sort of get all these things to work. Either way, I think, again, the leverage comes from understanding and that's really what we're going to dive into In this episode. So, what I'm going to do again in the first sort of part of this is just make the case for how space can be really important. And after that, again, we'll sort of go into some, you know, slightly more applicable concepts that I think will really relate to us as artists. And again, I'm going to really dig into the the sort of takeaway section of this. And I want to, you know, focus mostly on that because I think that there's a lot of really simple things and tricks you can do. And even if you just find one of these that will help you, uh, I think it can often be life-changing. But in the beginning, I think it's just important to understand that Again, we can consider spaces like, oh, here's my studio, here's my, um, you know, bedroom, and you know, here's my living room, here's my kitchen. Whatever these things are, these rooms have meaning to us. We are likely to behave differently and feel differently in these rooms, and we're going to maybe feel like we should be drawn to do a particular activity in these places. Essentially, now. To kind of back that up, um, I think, again, I'm not sure how much science has been done on a lot of this, but there's a lot of colloquial um, sort of, you know, evidence, right, that you can have for this based on experience, right? So, you know, the the classic example that's given about how we really are different people depending on our environment can be, you know, summed up by the idea that, you know, when, when you're with your friends, you're a particular person, you behave a certain way. When you are around your parents, right? When you're around your mother, you're going to behave a different way. When you get pulled over by the police, you're a completely different person yet again. And the change that happens is instantaneous. Uh, and again, if you've ever been pu- pulled over by the police, again, you know this thing. It's like whatever was happening previously <laughs> stops. And again, you kind of have to really reconsider And there's, you know, obviously a huge variety of of different sort of situations and people that we are depending on our environment. When we go to work, we're typically going to behave in a more professional way when we're in, you know, and and that means that, again, you know, we're we're automatically creating a huge sort of cascade of limitations and self-editing and doing this and thinking this. And all of these things are just sort of meant to key us into what is going to be optimal for our survival, essentially, in that environment. And I think this is obviously based very much on evolution. You would need to behave differently and you would need to behave differently quickly, depending on the situation. And I think this is, again, a really, really important observation to make. So if we look at how this idea of just, look, it seems to me, a real clear fact that we are able to be different people and to be able to change who we are very quickly depending on our environment. Although there are assistances that are often implemented sort of automatically to changing who we are based on our environment and the way that we travel there. um, And there's often rituals involved in that. And I've talked about that before, the ritual of going to work. And we'll touch on that a lot more as we progress. But Often the way that we represent this idea of space is just of trying to develop our artistic studio or our creative place where we go and create things. And, and often, again, you know, the ideal of this is to have, you know, a space that is just yours, that has the things that make you feel creative in it, and you kind of really custom tailor it to your, you know, situation. Now, you know, if, if you kind of look at my studio, it, it's very sort of dark and black and functional, Um, and if if you look sort of outside the frame, it's very messy Um, and it is not necessarily sort of one of these Instagram-esque studio spaces. The key here is that the space works for you and it makes you feel a certain way. You don't have to have everything looking, you know, sort of photo ready and what I would say is the way I often view my space is to think of it more like it is a workshop, less like what people might imagine an artistic studio is and more like again a place where you go and you create things and the things that are interesting the things that are beautiful the things that have sort of artistic merit are the things I create it's not necessarily the space that I'm in when I create it that's a functional space again you know I like to have a lot of the things dark because then it's easier to see the color on screen Um, you don't want to have you know a lot of light coming in the window because that's going to affect how things are. If you're a traditional painter, you really need to make sure that the light in the studio is of a certain quality. You want it to face a certain direction in relation to the sun, etc., etc., etc. So these are all things that are potentially practical applications and there's a functionality to a studio, let's say. But there's also overlaid on that the way that it makes us feel. And I think, again, that can be something that, you know, you want your studio to look really fancy. It can be that, you know, that isn't important to you. It can, it might be that your studio is a kitchen table or it's a particular couch or a chair in the corner of a room or it might be a space outside. A lot of this depends on, again, how much space you have to spend and waste on a studio in your house, in your life. Again, there's no rules to this the space is a physical space, but it's also a space that exists in your mind. And it's this connection between those two that I think is really important. And what I'm trying to unpack is that the space and our studio that we go to create is something that we can manufacture externally and also internally. As I touched on, Another important thing here is that time and space are somewhat connected. Mostly because of what I just said, there's a relationship between the internal and external world that you inhabit when you enter a space, and that can be very influenced by time. If you know that it's late at night in your studio and no one's going to interrupt you, that makes the space a lot more creative potentially. If you have a particular sort of you know feeling, or you have entered that space in a particular sequence, then that can also change how you feel about it. So there's a lot of these different aspects that are going to change how the space works. It's not just a matter of like you have a studio or you uh, do a particular set of things and that works. It's also a matter of you know what time is it, how are you feeling in that space. How did you get there? How did you kind of warm up? And this really touches on the idea of an on ramp and an off ramp to your creative practice. A lot of things, th- these things are time based. Not just that, but have you properly transitioned to the right artistic self? As someone who does a variety of different creative tasks, I'm often writing uh, comic books and sometimes I'm drawing comic books. And sometimes I'm doing illustrations for other people or sometimes I'm doing concept art. These are all very different creative versions of me. And the environment and the series of things that I do is obviously very different, as I'm sure it is for you when you're doing these different tasks. This is nothing new, but it's really important to understand how this functions. So, for instance, one of the things that I can often do is do a lot of sort of drawing while I'm listening to a podcast and, you know, I can sort of work all day just listening to things, listening to an audiobook, listening to interviews. And, you know, I could really enjoy that. And I get into this space of doing that. Then if I have to write, what I'll find is I can't listen to anything. And it's a major jarring sort of contrast. And the thing there is often that that can feel like artistic block or sort of artistic angst. Like, why don't I feel like doing this? <laughs> I thought about it I should like doing it I'm in my creative space but it something's not working right there's a bit of nails against the chalkboard there's there's a bit of friction there and I think the more that we focus on the friction the more discomforting it, it can become the more we procrastinate on these changes the you know the worse it can get and I think It's often using these ideas of ritual that will really help me to get over these humps and kind of say, oh, okay, I need to kind of be a slightly different person when I'm writing because I need to, you know, do it more or less in silence or with some very sort of instrumental music. And this is where, again, I can use the space to help me do that. And the more, again, I associate the space with the environment, with the tools, the more I can then start to manipulate that. So as another example from my sort of own situation, what I have found, and I've mentioned this before on the show, is that I can often be quite efficient at writing. If I take my little sort of notebook, I, I have like a sort of little moleskin style notebook and I'll kind of take that outside. A big part of space and the time and sort of how you get there is, is not necessarily having other distractions that might key you into saying, oh, I should be creating here and I should be watching you know, um, interviews or, or read, listening to an audiobook. Having a, a very different, Space change, right? Going outside to a completely different environment, only having my notebook kind of just allows me to say, oh, okay, I'm kind of a different person because I'm in a different space. And therefore, I should be writing. And the more I do that, then the easier it is for me to make that transition and become the writing version of myself. This is where, again, these ideas of space and time can start to intermingle. So again, just appreciate that, that it, it this is often a matter of combining the ideas of space and time. Another aspect of space that's kind of linked to that is what is the quality of the space And how does that kind of help you to do the things that you want to do? So I think, you know, are you going to be distracted in a particular space is a very important part of how we relate to it creatively. So if I go somewhere else where I know no one's going to distract me, it's a lot easier for me to create a ritual around that. And one of the things that I've frequently done throughout the years is if I do have something that I'm finding that. I'm constantly being distracted by and it's really hard for me to focus on. it. I will just kind of try and carve out some time of my day to go somewhere else, right? That might be going to a cafe or going going basically anywhere. You can just walk to a park. You can walk somewhere else just where you know that the natural associations you're going to have with either the place that you work or live or are most of the time, that those things aren't going to play on your mind. Again, it's this transition to a different space that allows us to more easily become a different person and to do so quickly. Other things that can play a major role with the space that we have are just very simple environmental factors. Um, do we have good music that we like there? Is that helping us to key into the space? Is the lighting something where we can control it to help our creative practice. That might be, again, you know, making it not too bright so that it's distracting. If you're trying to draw on a Cintiq or a, a iPad or something like that, and you've got light reflections on the screen. That can be very frustrating. A big part of what I've always tried to do with lighting, and this is, again, this another one of these little kind of uh, hacks, is try and make sure that I always use up lighting. Because it feels more diffuse. And I always also try and make sure that in my studio, I have daylight um, light, right? And and again, uh, that's a little bit easier to do now because there's a lot of sort of LED lights and stuff like that. But yeah, I've sort of noticed that uh, the more sort of diffuse and and consistent, right? And up lighting just sort of bounces the light off the ceiling. So you get like more of a diffused light, less shadow, essentially, less harshness to it. I find that this allows me to focus for longer and it is uh, more consistent so the light is less likely to change throughout the day. It's more going to be like if I open the window the light is in the room is going to be very similar to if I have sort of artificial uplighting, just stuff like that. So again that's a one example of how I you know really try and modify the lighting to and the scenario and the, and the situation the space to help my creativity. But also how Then when I go out and I'm in a cafe with a whole bunch of other people and there's this harsh downlighting, how it just sort of changes everything. I'm just like, oh, I'm not used to this, right? Um, And again, you know, uh, on the one hand, that's me, Tim, being sort of super picky and sensitive and sort of fussy. And and I I would say most people would view the things that I say around that as like, oh, that's just Tim being sort of super Um, particular about everything Um, but at the same time I think like a lot of artists are like that and they might not be like that about that but they'll be it about something else and often that sensitivity is what allows us to be very particular about our art but again this concept of you know is the lighting how you want is the music are the sounds is the air right is the temperature how are all these things sort of interacting and making it feel as if you have the right kind of creative space Another thing that, again, can be used for different reactions is do you have everything you need? So if you kind of have that little voice in your head of like, oh, maybe I'm going to need to get up and get a drink or get uh, a refill or maybe I'm going to be hungry or uh, maybe, again, as I was saying, you're going to have – you know you might have a distraction – or you're not quite sure where all the things that you're going to be using for the particular project you're working on are, I think those things can weigh on you, right? There's something very calming about knowing, oh, I've got everything I need. I think it's important to try and set up your studio and your space, even if it is very limited, to at least appreciate that and understand the effect that, okay, knowing you've got everything you need, and you're not going to have to get up again. Um, is a major boon for overall productivity. But I think we can also flip this and say that one of the best things you can do to change who you are and how you can be task orientated is to bring a very limited set of tools to a different environment or to consciously try and create in your mind the idea that this is all I need. Now, This is where, again, the idea of leveraging a different space is so, so powerful because it automatically changes who you are, and it's much easier to then become drastically different in your focus based on that. So the way I would use this, as I often say, is I would bring my sketchbook for doing a particular task to a coffee shop or to a particular part of my house that is not my studio, or as we'll talk about a little bit later, to a different desk in my studio. So doing it on that desk versus on that desk versus on this desk is different. And there's something interesting that happens there when you have a limited set of tools. If I just have my sort of writing notebook, I don't really draw in that. And if I just have a mechanical pencil, um, you know, it's like, well, that's all I need for writing. And if I'm just sitting there and I don't really have anything else to do, it's much easier for me to kind of say, well, what should I do? I should do this task that I came here to do with these tools. The more extra stuff I have, the more distraction potentially I have, the more options I have. Limited option, limited tool set, as I often talk about, is a really, really good focusing principle. And I think it's a great way that we can utilize the space and control the space because the space kind of includes our tools and what we bring there. If you can control those, I think you can drastically change the way you control your focus. Now, an interesting way that I've sort of managed to, I guess, experience this idea of the quality of the space and how that relates to creativity is through traveling. So I traveled in South America for a little while and I was, you know, playing around with this idea that I think was quite popular at the time around sort of 2010 I think a lot of people, including myself, were reading The 4-Hour Workweek by Tim Ferriss, which often was talking about this idea of leveraging your ability to be a freelancer and being able to travel at the same time. So I thought that was an interesting thing to explore because, again, I was very much torn between this idea of I'd had a studio for a long time and I did feel like we can get sort of chained to our studio. And this idea of traveling was very interesting. So... I kind of got to experience being in one environment for a month and then maybe staying in a hostel for, you know, two weeks and then having to travel here and travel there and just kind of how to constantly manage this situation where you have to find a space that feels creative, where, you know, again, you know, you're not going to get distracted and to kind of try and build those associations. What I'd kind of say is that, again, I think we're quite adaptable in the end. What you often have to do is build the muscle for that adaptation and figure out kind of what you really need and what things you can control and what things you can't control. So during that period, I used everything from like a breakfast kind of bench, right? You know, like not necessarily, I don't think in in some of these places, there wasn't even really a kitchen table, right? It was just very small apartment, uh, you know, in a big sort of high rise and there'd just be, sort of a kitchen and one of those little sort of benches you can kind of sit at or stand at. And that's kind of all I had to use because, you know, it was hard for me to sit on a couch because, you know, the Wacom sort of goes everywhere. Again, it's a mess. I just had a laptop, a backpack, um, a, a t- typical Wacom tablet, 13 inch MacBook Pro, I think like an Intuos 4 or something like that. Uh, if memory serves me correctly. And uh, yeah, you know, I sort of did that for a while and, you know, be going in, uh, I went to South America, so I went to mostly Chile and yeah, just sort of did that, worked on the road and uh, yeah, it's sort of tough. I, I, I'd say that the quality of the space is really important, but you'd be surprised how much you can influence bringing your own music there and having, again, this habit of kind of setting up different spaces. If you build that muscle, you'd be surprised how much you can um, key yourself into the creative space because what happens is that you realize what's changing and what's not. And it is sort of becomes easier and easier to kind of, you know, tune out the stuff that kind of doesn't change and just really focus on the fact that that artistic process can kind of be a way to make that traveling and that change kind of stay the same to a certain degree. So again, the space and the quality of the space can change drastically over time. I think the more that you're able to create a consistent space, I think probably the more efficient and effective you will be. But again, it is possible to really build a strong muscle of just kind of plunking your laptop down, getting to work and just learning how to control all of those other environmental things. There's something about that that can be refreshing because we're constantly updating the environment. It's a lot harder to get into negative patterns because everything kind of changes and you kind of get a new chance to kind of say, okay, how should this work? How should one work? Where should one work? What do I need? And even though, again, as I said, I found that ultimately I probably am more someone who prefers a studio and a home base on a psychological level. I think that it was very comforting to know that I didn't really need all that other stuff to create art. I didn't need my library of books and comics that I'd collected over the years. I didn't need my sort of scanners and light tables and all that kind of stuff. I had a 30-inch MacBook Pro. I had a Wacom tablet, they fit in a backpack, and that's kind of all I needed. And again, I think that also can be really good from a ritualistic standpoint to have a minimalistic set of tools that you can sort of take anywhere and and sort of get used to. Builds a lot of confidence in yourself, and it makes you understand what you actually do need to create and get that creative space going. So I really want to get into some hacks and tricks and things that we can do to really apply these things and and get leverage on our own creative practice. But before we do that, I think one of my favorite things that needs to be touched on is the concept of transition and how transitioning through space can be a major way for us to influence the way that that sort of artistic space that we end up in feels As I said, often what we're dealing with is that we are actually different people throughout the day, depending on our situation. You've got your friends, you've got your parents, and then you've got the police. You're different people in these different scenarios. And we're also often frequently changing who we are depending on whether or not we are at home or at work. And that really is a big part of, you know, really kind of what we're dealing with here is the idea of work or creative practice versus, you know, other things that we might do throughout the day. Now, I think the most important thing to appreciate here is just that you, you kind of need a bit of space to get on and off that creative feeling, that emotion. And not just that, but these are habits that over time, people develop naturally. So I think a lot of this keys into evolutionary biology, evolutionary psychology, where we can understand that a lot of these subconscious changes where we're becoming different people are really related to uh, the sort of tribal scenarios that we might have been in, which have influenced more of the subconscious um, you know, development of how we feel. So a good example of this is the fight or flight instinct, right? You see a threat and instantly you're like, I either need to fight that or I need to run. And it changes who you are. It changes your entire, every single thing about your body instantly changes when you go into fight or flight. And you are put in this state because you need to stop every single thing you're doing and thinking. You need a full hard reset. It needs to happen as fast as physically, humanly possible. And all the people who weren't able to make that transition died because they got eaten by a tiger hundreds of millions of years ago, right? We've had lots of ability and evolutionary sort of pressure on our ability to change state really quickly when we're faced with something. And I think it's these ideas that have sort of led into, you know, the ability to kind of be different people in different social scenarios, because obviously we're social beings and that evolutionary psychology is overlaid on the fight or flight kind of model. So these things are kind of connected. It's important to understand that often our psychology and biology is not Optimized for the things that we're trying to do right now. It's optimized for things that were happening 100 million years ago, um, or 10 million years ago, or 10,000 years ago, not really here. And the further back we go, the more automated these things tend to be. So, what I'm often trying to say is like, well, if we see those things that are hard coded in about how we change who we are based on our environment or cues, and that we can do it really quickly. If we can leverage that, we're actually leveraging a lot of evolution. And I think when you do that, you get a lot of control over yourself and a lot of power. So, again, that's the, the major frame here when it comes to the idea of transition is that we are able to change who we are very quickly or um, based on very simple input signals. And if we can control that and master that, then we can actually sort of influence who we are and how we feel at particular points in the day quite easily. So if we look at how we might observe the the idea of an on-ramp and an off-ramp functioning for most people, we can see this happening all day, every day when people go to work. Typically, people have a series of things that they're doing as they go from waking up to going to work early in the morning. And it involves, again, like getting ready, getting dressed. So this is where, again, we're changing our physical appearance. And that's very important. It it changes how we feel in that costume that we're wearing. Again, if people are wearing a suit or a particular sort of uniform they need to wear, it's gonna have a large set of associations with it. And putting that on is going to begin that change as is, you know, sort of the breakfast routine and also a lot of these transitional physical points where this is very sort of interesting. Um, and this is, delves more into the philosophical, mystical sort of side of this, but I think nonetheless, nevertheless, we, we can observe how this functions, but the transition through portals or doors, I think is very, very, very important. And I think a lot of this stuff happens so subconsciously and a lot of people I think are very distressed when they notice how automated these things are and how they are changing and becoming a different person when they're around other people because we want want to imagine we're kind of the same person, right? And, and, and there's some consistency here. And actually, what's happening is it's a little bit more monkey, right? It's a little bit more like, oh, you kind of do all these things and then you behave a different way. Like, why is that? And it's like, oh, well, you know, I'm at work. It's like, but, but, but how, right? Um, and, and I think a lot of this is, again, keyed in from evolution that the traveling from one place to another uh, naturally makes us sort of change who we are, because that's an easy sort of functional reason that you might need to change. Going through a portal, going through a door is another one of these situations. So the ritual as I see it for your average person, right, which again, you know, I just sort of imagine because, uh, you know, I see these people going to work, but um, mostly I've been a freelancer my whole life, is that people are doing these series of transitional elements where they're moving through space and time, they're changing their appearance, they're going through these doors, they're going through these portals, and they get to work and it's that process of doing that that is an on-ramp to work. And by the time they get to work, they're kind of prepared to, you know, do that stuff. And sometimes it can be better to have a long commute because it allows you to prepare mentally for what you're about to sort of undergo and who you have to be to change. It can be very distressing to have a very quick turnaround <laughs> where you just enter your studio and it's like, okay, now do the work. Do the thing right. Be creative. Be an artist. We're a little bit less used to having no time change between having to be one person and another. Again, you notice when you get pulled over by the cops; it's a bit distressing. It's kind of more of that fight or flight change where you're like, "Oh no, what's going on?" Right? (laughs) Am I? I, Is this the end of my life or not? Right? Um, Again, there's lots of different ways the state can change. But either way, there is an on-ramp that is a mix of time, behavior, this weird ritualistic stuff that, again, we see as normal. And most people, it's so natural to them, like, oh, of course you're doing this. But if you were to observe it and make a documentary about your average person in a Western country going and getting ready for work, it would appear very sort of mystical, right? Like, why are you doing this? And there's this sequence. And they do this over and over again, right? Routine. Stuff is important because it allows us to automate that transition, And similarly, you often have a a commute. You know, it it might even be a, you know, a a short commute, but it is nevertheless a commute home, where a series of other things happen. Right? People loosen the tie, they take off the jacket. Right? You get in the car. Um, You know, people often have something they do. You know, go to the gym. They do something. It's important to have these transitions, and they're very natural. So we can observe that happening. Everyone does that. That's just a fact. Now. One of the things that, again, you'll see with um, sort of my experience of this is that as an artist, I don't have that ritual, right? I I get up and I have the room that I sleep is very close to the room that I do all my work in. And that's something that, uh, again, pre sort of uh, COVID work from home pandemic, uh, that's something that was very, you know, not many other people had to deal with that. So I've had a lot more time where I've had to think about these things and consciously develop them. And that's something that, uh, again, you've seen a lot of productivity literature, and just a lot of these situations in general, where you're dealing with people having to be very productive, while they're working from home, you tend to start to do weird stuff. You tend to start to have weird rituals and things you do in the morning to make yourself sort of get into the right frame of mind. And because there's none of this other stuff, no one sees you do these things. They can be very personal, right? It could be, you know, that you have a bath, wake up, have a bath, sit in the bath for an hour. Like, I don't know, whatever works for you, like really doesn't matter. Like nothing matters except for does it work for you? Uh, It could be a matter of going for a walk. The key is to understand how and why these things function. So that's really what I want to talk about again when it comes to transitions. So I think traveling and really any degree of travel that becomes repetitive or regular will help us to change state. What I often recommended to people when everyone was sort of starting to have to work from home, I I did some sort of uh, even some shows on this that are still um, online where I was working at the concept design uh, workshop in Adelaide and we had a lot of students who had to be at home and I was like look you know here are the things we have to do and a lot of things that will work are to okay you're you're in the same house but just go and walk around the block and come back to that same house and when you come back to the house now you're in work mode now why should that work it sounds ridiculous it's like well it's just you're just sort of hacking a lot of these natural systems that occur with transition and more, most, more importantly, the portal. So you can observe the portal concept, which is 100% mystical. And I've never heard any, anyone else really talk about this. But I think it's just one of these sort of magical things that happen. So you can observe the portal door phenomena by in, in two situations. One is you're in one room of your house and you say, oh, I need to go into that room to get that thing. You go into the other room, you cross the portal, you cross the door and you stand there dumbfounded and you forget why you came in there. Second thing, you say, oh, I need to open the fridge to get this thing. You open the portal to the fridge, to the otherworldly um, refrigerated existence and you forget like, what what was I here for? And I think, again, what you're seeing is, and this is just conjecture, but I think what you're seeing there is the need when you do transition from one environment to another to quickly pay attention and change and kind of reset. So if you're transitioning through the environment uh, and you imagine you are a, a, a you know an early hominid, you're moving through the forest or whatever jungle or whatever place that you inhabit, and the environment changes right? You come from one place to another, you notice a change in the environment. It's important to kind of click and say, oh, something's changed. I may die because of that change. So we we keyed into pattern recognition very, very strongly. And this idea of changing the environment, like, oh, I've just entered something, right? I just, I might be in a bear cave, right? Um, You kind of notice something's changed. And I think also from a social perspective, going, crossing a threshold, right, is something that's very, very strongly embedded in a lot of popular culture, a lot of religion, a lot of mythology. You're crossing a threshold, a portal to another world. And you need to, if you enter someone else's house or you enter a portal or you change this, you need to instantly forget all the other garbage you were thinking about and just focus on what's going on. Uh, Am I going to be in trouble or not? So there's just these basic fundamental things that I think kind of just tend to get triggered by the modern environment. And again, I think the portal, the threshold, the door is one of these things. Now, I think that you can use this quite easily for yourself to trigger state change. So again, having a door to your studio is really good for this instance, but also just going out your door right, will change who you are. You're like immediately like, oh, okay, I need to do this other thing. Um, I think opening the door, getting in your car, right? There's a number of portals that you enter and change and transition through as you go um, to work. And if you're trying to create a ritual for yourself, all I would say is if you incorporate more of these sort of portals or doors, if you just basically walk through more doors, sounds really dumb. It can have this kind of literal magical effect where you're instigating and and helping a state change by doing that. So, again, the practical application of that is just simply, um, you know, if you are forced to work from home and you're not used to this and it's hard for you to go from one place to another place and you're still thinking about all this stuff because you're not used to that ritualistic change from going to work, just walk around your block or literally (laughs) Um, you know, go out the back door of your house and come in the front door. And it's these silly things that will actually help us to quickly forget all the other stuff we were thinking and become different people. It's why you often people want a separate studio that's like a separate building. It seems different to them. It's like there's no difference between having a studio inside or outside or going over here, right? There's no real reason. It's like, oh, people will distract me. It's like, mm, kind of. But also, I think there's a lot of this other stuff happening. So just appreciate that, again, often things that might seem a little bit weird to you when it comes to state change uh, can be very effective. And pay attention to the things that we naturally do as we transition from one place to another. If you can make them happen yourself and you can design them and fit them into your ritual, then often... Again, it's that snowball effect, right? Things start to go downhill and you just naturally will find it easier to get into a different headspace. As well, changing your clothes, right? So having a different sort of outfit that you wear when you go to, you know, uh, studio work, right? When you do your creative stuff versus when you're doing other things can really help. Um, And obviously a sequence. So stringing these all together in a very specific sequence Having a, secret, a sequence of things that you do that's very particular to how you, you know, to when you go to create and do your art is something that we kind of naturally combine into this idea of ritual and habit. So we string these things together and they just kind of will naturally key us into a major state change. Another one that's really worth mentioning is sort of water therapy, having a shower, having a bath, um, having these big sort of physical changes, right? Um, can be a really other, a good one, right? You know, again, going outside if it's cold or if it's hot. Uh, Something that, again, it just reminds us like, oh, everything's changing. Uh, And people often, again, this is another one of these things where people say often good ideas come to them in the shower. You know, there's something that happens when we have that kind of water, you know, going everywhere and, uh, you know, you're kind of uh, feeling it sort of beating down on your head, right? You can't do anything else. You're wet, you know, (laughs) you can't do anything else. So, you know, often that's when we get into a creative space. So, you know, just doing these things, right. Um, you know, can be really, really useful to help you transition from doing one thing to another, um, get into that creative mindset and doesn't matter how weird or stupid it sounds to you, right. If it's like, oh, this person like goes around the block and then comes in and has a shower and then they change their clothes and do the things like who freaking cares, right. As long as it works for you, um, then it works. All right. So, Let's talk about some more real practical things that we can do here. And again, I'll cover this a little bit more in the takeaways. But there's a couple of things that once we observe all this stuff happening, we can really start to break it down and think about tactics. So there's other little weird peculiarities about humans and how we perceive space. It's not necessarily just a room, but you can divide a room with color or with what's happening on the floor. So uh, a, a very sort of typical architectural interior design thing that people employ is to, again, have different different floor covering, coverings. So if you put a carpet or a rug under your desk, imagine you have a single room. That is your bedroom, right? Imagine uh, you might be someone who's younger and you've just got your bedroom. It's super frustrating. All this stuff I'm saying is like, yeah, that's good, but I can't do any of it, right? Because I've only got this one room. Got one tiny postage stamp room. Pay attention to putting different things that have different tasks on different floor coverings, right? you find this has a drastic influence on the way that we perceive the space. Um, And this is something that, again, interior designers will utilize a lot if you have one of those big sort of modern open plan, um, you know, kitchen, uh, entertaining, uh, dining room sort of areas, often it's really important to modify the feeling of that room so it feels different in different spaces. And you can do that by, again, dropping or lowering, uh, sorry, dropping or raising the floor height um, or dropping or raising the, the ceiling height, or you can put different floor coverings, right? So you have the same space, same room, but it feels very really different because it's got different things in there. That will work with a really small room too. If you have, again, your desk on a rug or your room or your bed, sorry, on a rug, then uh, it will drastically change the way you feel when you're in that place. Again, why? Because it's kind of like latent hominid monkey stuff, right? We, we perceive the territory in these weird ways. Um, and uh, yeah, you know, you don't really have to ask why, but that will happen. In a similar way, you can potentially use different lighting, different temperatures in your room, depending on what you want to do. I've sort of seen people recommend having like, you know, a different get a bit of cardboard and paint it one color. And on the other side, you paint it a different color. And when it's work time, right, you kind of flip it to one color. And when it's chill out time, you flip it to the other color. These little keys will often make a, a really, really big difference to the way you feel in the space. You don't necessarily have to have some fancy studio. Another thing that I often talk about is having different desks or workstations for different tasks. I think this can be a really simple way to hack that idea. I'm in the same room, but because I'm in a different sort of position, again, in this room, I've got sort of three different workstations I use for different things. They're not necessarily sort of fancy workstations. Typically what I just find is that I sort of upgrade my main workstation and I take the other one and I kind of like just sort of still have it in the room and then I do other things on it. Um, again, it's a really good way to leverage and, and, and sort of hack the way that we might feel at a particular space. So you can have your room, you can have your studio, but you can have different things that you might do at different desks or different stations within that room. And as you build those associations, you will be more keyed into doing those creative tasks in that particular place. And I think this is, again, another really powerful way that you can hack these latent feelings and emotions that are very subconscious to focus yourself instantly depending on what you're doing. And this, again, is leveraging that idea that we can change that state really quickly. You don't necessarily have to, you know, do anything fancy. I I can sort of just look at a different computer and then all of a sudden say, oh, that's right. That's what I am meant to be doing here. And then I kind of just start doing it. So these are things you might have to build up over time. But again, even in the same room, even in a very close proximity, you can have very task specific things that will immediately change the way that you view what you should be doing and how you feel about it. Sometimes, as I said, though, it can be really important or useful to modify the entire environment and make that task specific. This can be useful, especially if you're finding it hard to separate and dice up those little changes in, you know, meant you're meant to do one particular creative task or one thing in one part of your room and another thing somewhere else. Again, uh, the best thing to do if you're having trouble with this or you feel like you're in a rut or things are not quite working is to make a drastic environmental change. And this can be a matter of going in a completely different part of your house uh, to either a public space Um, or again, you know, like a cafe or something like that. And, uh, you know, I frequently talked about how I will use this idea to say, okay, I need to do some writing, but, you know, I'm very used to doing art when I'm sort of in this room. So I'll just go outside, I'll find somewhere else, I'll go on the kitchen table, whatever it is. Again, you know, I might know, oh, I've got, like, you know, a few hours here where this room's going to be free. I'll just go in there and I'll do that. And at the very least, it's going to sort of uh, stop me associating all the natural habits that I would be, you know, having in a place like this. And this is where, again... It's really important to understand that this stuff is kind of tricky, right? It can can come back to bite us. So if you develop a really strong workflow and a really strong association with doing a particular task in a particular area of your studio or your house, then if you decide, oh, I need to do something else or you want to try something else, you want to try something fresh, we're so keyed in and we're so drawn to do the old thing that when we do the new thing, it feels like oh, I'm doing the wrong thing here. Your brain's doing the right thing; it's kind of fo- it's it's kind of focusing you on its natural association. But if you want to change the association, that can be very challenging, and it can often kind of mess everything up, right? Which is why, again, I think it's so I, I found it really useful to have different stations because, again, I want to preserve those different associations that I have with different tasks. And it's a lot easier to do that with this physical change. So the key there to understand is that we're terrible at multitasking. We don't have any evolutionary ability really to kind of do multiple things at once and split our focus and be effective. It's kind of just not how we're generally built and all the literature supports that. Distractions kill focus and you can't really be that productive if you're trying to do two things at once. But we are kind of really good at changing our focus from one thing to another and being keyed in based on the environment to do a particular task. And again, this is where we are utilizing our evolutionary ability to instantly change and have these fight or flight changes to every single thing that's going on in your body and your brain. You're instantly flooded with cortisol, adrenaline and all this stuff because you need to run right, right now. Everything else is just instantly forgotten, right? Done. Now, again, it doesn't have to be that dramatic, but we know we have that ability. And I think it's a lot easier, certainly for me, and I might just be sort of Predisposed to this, but I found this to be the most useful hack in terms of productivity. It's just understanding that I'm terrible at multitasking, but I'm really, really good at being able to switch between them. So it's like, yep, sure, I'm not good at multitasking, but I can do an hour here on this and then turn around to this computer and do an hour on that one. And just because my brain is just used to doing a different task on a different thing, I'm actually quite good at switching to them quite quickly. And you know, I'm sort of multitasking, but just not at the same time. So it's all about understanding what we're good at and what we're not good at. And the more you practice and build those muscles for, again, disengaging and engaging our focus and our flow, the easier it is to change between these things, right? But again, just appreciate that fact. I think that we're terrible at multitasking, but very good at Rapidly changing our focus, and uh, you know, almost you know, we can almost instantly become 100 percent focused on a completely different thing. The more you leverage that, the more power you have over how you feel and how you can employ your energy over time. All right, so I think I've covered most of the ideas here that I think are really, really important. What I want to do, as I normally do, is think about takeaways. How can we kind of sum up and conceptualize this information into something that might be more useful? The first thing that often strikes me here is the analytical approach. So I think here it's kind of weird, right? A lot of this stuff to me is something where I'm not really sure. A lot of it has like a scientific kind of evidence-based existence. But many of these things I think are very observable, right? We can observe the concept of the portal, even though, again, that's a little bit more of a mystical idea. Um, but it is, you know, there are often scientific studies where you can see this stuff happening, where it's like, oh, look how weird people are, <laughs> right? You do this thing and this thing, and everyone just kind of does that thing. You hear these like, um, you know, there's the classic scientific exp- experiment where, um, you know, they they get a bunch of actors in, in a waiting room or something like that, and they put one subject, uh, you know, someone who's not an actor... Someone who's being experimented on into the room, and then you know something will happen that's an artificial, right? A sound will happen, and then everyone sort of gets up, and uh, you know, kind of uh, you know makes a noise, right? Everyone just stands up, and they're all actors, and the person who's like uh, you know doesn't know what's going on. It's just like I don't know what to do, so they just do what everyone else is doing, and you can then do the classic thing where you basically cycle out all the actors and you keep putting in new experimental subjects and this sort of ridiculous behavior that is completely nonsensical will just replicate throughout the human um, sort of population. And, you know, everyone's like, oh, that's kind of interesting. Uh, and I think often what happens is people are like, oh, that's kind of interesting, a little bit disturbing, but there's not a lot of takeaway there. There's not a lot of like, oh, well, that must mean that, again, we're not really often doing things for logical reasons. And, and, and you know, the social pressure is often so great that we'll basically do anything um, and you know, there's tons of those things and a lot of them are very dark, right? People are often just, you know, doing stuff again, as I say, because they did it yesterday. So a lot of this is more mystical. I, I, it's hard to kind of analytically break it down. But I think what I'd say is just see if you can observe these things happening around you and and try and get to a point where you believe them. And you you're sort of basing them on your actual, your own experience. Because these are my experiences. And I would imagine that I'm a creature of habit. And so habit is much more important to me and are much more powerful for me maybe than some other people. A lot of artists, I, I feel like, are, you know, are similar in these ways and that we like to sit down at a studio and kind of create. Um, but, but again, the key is for you to kind of observe how these things relate to you, right? What works for you? What ritualistic things do you find you have done? Um, you know, and, and just try and observe this, observe this happening around you. Because uh, again, you know, a lot of this behavior gets sublimated when we are going into work every day. And I've done that, you know, I've sort of been in situations where I've, you know, gone in uh, X number of days every week to a particular place and you kind of get used to it. But, you know, the first few times I do that where I've been working at home for like a year and then I have to start going in, it really is like what is happening? Look at all these people. They're all just kind of going to work for like no reason. And, you know, everyone's just kind of like these sort of little drones running around. Um, And it's just like the the degree to which everyone's automated is very shocking, right? Um, Because you kind of see it for the first time. And and after a while, it kind of just fades into the background, right? Because that's just what you're doing. So just try and observe these things yourself and, and just kind of be aware of it, I guess, is the best sort of takeaway. Because this is specific to you. From an analytical standpoint, we can observe the aggregate, you know, sort of experimental phenomena. But really, the only effect is like how useful is this information to you? What's the utility of it? What works for you especially well? The more you figure out what works for you, the more, you're able, the more you'll be able to actually apply it and get use out of it. If you want the most simplified version of this, right, the bro what's the single takeaway? It's that we are different people in different environments and different locations and the more you can sort of view that as like a fact, like a physical thing that like we literally change our state drastically throughout the day anyway and in many ways, the real trick is not that, it's that how we kind of maintain our sense of self despite behaving very differently around different people in different situations. Um Again, it's very simple. Once you grasp that single idea that like you can be a very different person based on the environment that you're in, then it's just a matter of saying, well, okay, how do I use that to my advantage? All right. So in terms of like some simple takeaways or like if you want to try out some stuff, um, how can you apply this to your you know everyday life if you want to try stuff out? Well, again, there's a couple of ideas here. Firstly, I just want to talk about maybe different sort of situations, right? I think if you are just in a situation where maybe you're younger or for whatever reason, you don't have a lot of control over the space. You've just got one room. I think this can be one of the most challenging things to deal with. And I think you, you're you really best off trying to hack as many of these ideas with your actual space as possible. Try and physically separate the space with carpet or some kind of visual Barrier so that the space that is your creative space is different in some way. Even with a very small room, I think you'd be surprised the degree to which this is possible. Secondly, try and hack as many of these situations where you're finding space and time outside your room that you might still be able to protect. So this could be, you know, again, going to a different part of the house. Um, where you know no one else is going to be uh, at a particular time, that, ma- that might work as well. It might be a matter of going to a park, going to a cafe, uh, try to utilize these different spaces and different times, especially to get really focused work on. And make sure, again, you're finding and capturing the times where you know you have uninterrupted time and space to kind of work. I would really sort of look into the idea of utilizing lighting or, um, again, you know, different Uh, things that can change, right? Literally putting on different clothes, really funny little things like this will change the way that you feel about yourself in that environment. So I think that's really, really important, especially if you have that like bedroom slash study studio area, that can be really tricky because it can really mess up your sleep. If you're associating doing other things besides sleeping in a room from a basic sort of architectural interior design, uh, sleep Um, psychology point of view it's recommended that you you only do sleeping in one room right Uh, you you don't do other stuff like watch TV or whatever in that other room so it can be a huge challenge if you just got one room to deal with this so it is important to use all the tactical things at your service to make sure that you feel like you're a different person when you're doing different things in that room if you have a studio setup and again you're sort of trying to think about how to hack these things i, I really do recommend trying to find either different desks or different sides of the desks and trying to separate them in some way and, and give yourself different tasks right uh, you know for me again you know if i just had smaller studio space and, and you know smaller things uh, I, I would use you know different tactics to get the same thing to happen essentially but Uh, Yeah, you know, a place for doing, you know, drawing or sketching, a place for working on a computer, a place for sort of reading, looking at reference, you know, and it could just be like a chair here, a thing here, a thing there, and you just get used to doing it. I think that really helps to become task orientated in your space and to utilize the space to key you in to do those particular things. As I said, one of the biggest dangers is that you can actually develop a really good habit where you're used to doing the thing that you want to do in your space. And then when you want to change it and do a different creative thing in that space, it's kind of, again, it's nails on the chalkboard. Things aren't quite working. You know, you have that sort of weird artistic angst, artistic, artistic block. Why why isn't this working? It can often be, again, because your brain is just trying to do the right thing. So again, protecting the habits that you do have, I think is, uh, is also really important. A big part of what you need to do, again, if you're struggling to get the most out of your time is to really work the on ramp and off ramp to your creative practice. And I think, again, it doesn't necessarily need to take a long time, but the more you can utilize these ideas that I've talked about, such as potentially, again, take a shower, use water therapy, um, you know, change your clothes, go through portholes, go for a walk, um, listen to different music, different lighting, all these things, uh, anything you can do to kind of transition. And again, having a sequence with which you do them can be really important. Even just, you know, you, you have that, you know, you get up in the morning, you make your coffee, right? You have your sort of sequence that you do it, you start thinking about other things, could be like you wash the dishes in the morning, right. And like, you get your hands all soapy and, you know, you kind of start to think about, there's all these things, you know, you, I know a lot of artists as friends, and we talk about these things. It's funny, the weird stuff you kind of find like, ah, oh, yeah, this is what I do in the morning. And all that stuff will kind of key you into that. So it doesn't even need to be like, oh, I'm doing stuff that's for my ritual. It can just be like, oh, you know, uh, you know, you put out the rubbish and you, you feed the dog, you feed the cat, you do this, you have this sort of transitional period, and then you sort of make your your drink right? Um, You have a five minute shower and then you go do your thing, right? Um, And half of that is kind of stuff that you needed to do anyway, but you build it into a sequence whereby, um, again, your body starts to remember, oh, I'm doing the same thing. And next is me sitting down and being an artist. And so that's what I'll do. Why? Uh, Again, because of all that monkey hominid stuff, right? Again, it's like the people in the room, right? Starting to like get up and make weird sounds because that's what everyone else is doing. It's like, "Eh, I don't know, we're just doing this, I guess. If you are someone who's doing this a lot, right you're a professional artist or you know you're just, you know, spending a lot of time creating art, again, what I'd say is really work on your morning routine. The more that you can get it so that it really works for you, and and is again a good combination of stuff you need to do, stuff you like doing, stuff that helps you change state, get into the right you know uh, frame of mind. Uh, even if you're not, even if you're just doing work from home stuff, I think it's really really important. And again, it's one of these things where people who go to work, who don't work from home, uh, do this stuff anyway. And then when they have to, when again when sort of COVID pandemic hit, everyone's working from home. They kind of uh, again just imagine that like they can just kind of walk from one room to another. It's like, no, no, you got to get dressed. You got to do the stuff. I think that's a really important thing to do. Uh, A lot of people imagine that everyone who, you know, works from home is just uh, walking around in pajamas. It's like, no, no, that's the first thing you got to not do is right. You can wear comfy clothes, but it's got to be different to what you got out of bed in. Uh, and, And just make sure that again, it's important that both you give that morning ritual time. doesn't matter how weird it is, whatever works for you. Uh, And again, it can be a mix of stuff that makes no sense whatsoever. Uh, It could be, uh, you know, like whatever you want, whatever you want, Uh, as long as it works for you, as long as it gets you in the right frame of mind. And again, you modify it, you perfect it, people get really weird. One of the things I notice about all the people I know who work from home and have been doing it for years and years is everyone goes through these like weird phases, get into weird patterns of, of doing stuff and all this. It's very sort of particular, but That's kind of what works, and it's no more weird, as I always say, than all the stuff everyone else does in order to sort of get themselves out of bed and, you know, to work. It's important to remember that all we're really doing here, the only thing that really matters is that we're trying to create and develop that space and time, that sort of creative practice, that ritualistic um, sort of space that we can go to, and anything you can do to create that, anything that works to make that better or more efficient or happen quicker... Uh, is fair game. You know, I think it's just important to understand that we're all unique. The things that you're going to find to do are going to be different to the things that I'm going to find to do. And once you find them out, it's worth it. And it is worth experimenting and seeing what works, you know, try going for a walk around your block, try going for a, you know, a walk in the morning, try uh, again, you know, having uh, more showers than you might need, right? Again, as long as you don't have water restrictions in your state, right? Um, Again, you know, these things can help and, uh, you know, just try and build the ritual that you need. And remember, the main goal is just to have that space and time where you feel like it's time to create. If we look at this from more of a philosophical or spiritual level, again, the thing that always strikes me about this is just that the more we understand how these things are functioning in ourselves, I think the closer we get to really understanding who we are. And as I was saying, again, I think a lot of people have sublimated these weird ritualistic things that we do. And when we you know study these concepts and see, oh that's weird people just kind of are following and doing what everyone else is doing because we're these kind of social animals you know I, I think it's really important to appreciate and understand that because you kind of have to be comfortable with these things as an artist and one of the other things you know is that part of you know, being an artist and doing artistic things is understanding the world, you know, to to write stories. I have to understand what motivates people, right, to create artwork and draw characters and stuff. I have to kind of understand a little bit more about how all these things tick. And I think that's, uh, you know, something that we can get closer to by understanding how we relate to ritual and work. I think all of these are really important ideas that touch everyone at a very, very deep level. And I think if we think about this from a philosophical, spiritual point of view, the key is if we get close to this and if we understand this, then we're less controlled autonomously by these things that maybe we're not even seeing. And I think to do that is to raise our awareness of what is going on in the world and what our relationship to it is and maybe ultimately how we can help it to be better. All right, so I think that's all I've got time for on this episode. Hopefully these ideas have been useful. Hopefully I've given you enough tactical things that you can actually do to maybe help your own ritual and you understand these things a little bit better. There's tons of ideas here that I've learned over the years that hopefully will help you as well. But again, just remember... Most of this is about understanding yourself, right? And uh, I'd really like to know What are the weird things that you might have found work? So let me know in the comments or, you know, get in touch. Um, Let me know how this ritualistic stuff relates to you. And uh, yeah, you know, I think that will also help other people to appreciate and understand, you know, that again, you know, uh, it's okay to do something as a ritual, um, even if it doesn't necessarily make sense, right? We're all weird and wonderful creatures as humans, weird mix of again, you know, part reptile, part monkey, part um, social creature Um, and uh, yeah, you know, all of these aspects of ourselves are important so anyway let us know what you think in the comments uh leave me a like subscribe etc leave us a review on podcast platforms if you're listening to this on apple or spotify i think those reviews do really help to um you know surface that sort of content and help other people find it so i really really appreciate um, those things but uh yeah other than that we will catch you around on the next one